Uh, good morning. What a great joy it is to be together again in the house of the Lord with God's people. You know, um, as as I grow and as I get older, I look so much more forward to coming together like this because, uh, you know, the world has a tendency of uh, dragging on you a little bit. And I always come here. This is like we're going to be talking about uh, a little bit later. We're going to be talking about uh, the, one of the well diggers. And, you know, the purpose of digging a well, you don't dig a well to put water in it, right? You dig a well so that you can get God's provision out. And when we gather together like this, this is like coming to a well, isn't it? I hope it is for you as well. Well, I know we're kind of light this morning. Uh, We were thinking about it as we left our house this morning. We realized uh, that we had only one child with us, which is a strange thing. (laughs) Not used to that. And uh, as as we entered into the facility here, we realized that a lot of people are out. Many of them, um, praise be to God, are out serving the Lord in ministry, in service, at camp, or we had our uh, team to Ghana uh, and many other ministries that are being uh, committed in the name of the Lord, and that's a wonderful thing to think about. And then there are the others who are being served and being ministered to, the younger ones who are hearing the gospel, who are, uh, who are placed in a fellowship, a healthy environment, that will allow them to grow and to be nourished and to be uh, vital people for the kingdom of God. What a great, what a great situation that is, isn't it? And so, even though we may be light here, the other thing I was thinking, on the contrary, there is going to be a day when the trumpet's going to sound, right? And there's going to be a shout, and the dead in Christ are going to be raised and those who remain will be caught up with him in the twinkling of an eye. And I thought about how used to I am, is is that right? Uh, English, how used to I am? Something like that. That's something Moses would say or something like that. But how used to it that I am to be in the fellowship and surrounded by people that I know and I love. Can you imagine when the church is gone how devastating this world is going to be? You know, apart from that remnant, those 144,000, which some may not agree, I believe, will be the great preachers of the gospel, the, uh, of the Jewish nation, of the Hebrew people. And, uh, you know, even though we love our fellowship together, it's always nice when we're all here. And one day they're going to look around and you're not going to be here. And, uh, well, hopefully that will cause some to turn and repent and turn to the living God. Well, anyway, uh, kind of I have notes here, and you know I have to follow my notes. Uh, One of the brothers asked me, Brother Titus asked me if I'm a hunter. I said, I like to, but I don't very much. But my favorite hunting is rabbits. So I will stick to my notes because I always say that. I'm a rabbit hunter, so I want to. Stick to my notes. 
Today we're going to be looking at Genesis. It's a big, it's a big chunk. We're not going to finish it this morning. Um, I really tell you the truth. A lot of stuff was on me this last couple of weeks vacation, and then we came back and we did Fort Lauderdale. We helped them, and it kind of ate up a lot of time. I didn't really think about it a whole lot. So the, I, I had another plan, but I'm not going to do that. What I was thinking about before is in the morning. We were just going to do the practical ministry from the Bible, some lessons that we would learn. But also in these passages, in particular in the Old Testament, there are some higher truths that are found. I don't think I'm going to touch on the higher truths this time. For you young people who have the opportunity to minister, I encourage you to format yourself and format your notes so that you can build on them later. Cut back, add to you know, recycle them, you know, which I never really did a whole lot. Um, and so a lot of times I have to go back in the beginning. So go ahead and keep your notes, especially. But, of course, when I, was, I didn't have a computer and all that stuff either. We were actually doing the typewriters that went. <laughs> so uh, you don't know anything about that. But keep your notes so that when you have these opportunity. And as you grow in the Lord and as you, you are, as you experience more depth of the Lord, your ideas and your vision gets bigger and better all the time as the Lord's word develops you. This morning I titled this uh, section, we'll be looking at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a mouthful right there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I was, didn't, Many ideas crossed my mind. I thought, you know, this is the foundation of the defining work of God. And, uh, and I didn't know whether to go on that or to go on the line, you know, like a fishing line. You know, God was, is fishing for people, and this is the line that he's gone through. Anyway, that's a little too far out. But anyway, I, I titled this Defining Line and Lessons. The defining line and lessons. And before we look at Genesis, uh, we'll start in 25. I want to just look at one other passage in Romans uh, chapter 15. And I think this is often the ought to be the theme of our thinking when we venture through the Old Testament. This morning during Lord's Supper, I was looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Oh, how wonderful that is. You know, that chapter of faith, and it illustrates all those men of faith. But I think this is something that ought to be in the background of our mind, or as it were, you know, maybe like a cloud over our life when we study the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience, and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The Lord is wonderful and gracious, and he's given us the scriptures for that. Now, one other thing before we start looking at these um, characters in the scriptures, real people uh, in history, in God's history, you know, you think... You know, when we approach these people, oftentimes it's like many of us are with one another. You know, we see each other, and we have relationships. Some are deeper than others. 
but for the most part, most of our relationships are pretty cordial. And so we understand and we know people on a cordial fashion, in a cordial way. And a lot of that is you develop your own ideas. Some is this presupposition from things you've seen them do and heard. Um, but as you get to learn people more, uh, sometimes those things change. Those ideas, those uh, views of that person or the character of that person you are. Why? Because you get to learn more about them. And as the details begin to come to the top and begin to surface, sometimes they're not all that you thought they were or sometimes there's something else than you thought they were. Sometimes they're more than you think they were. As we dig into the lives of these characters, we're going to find some lessons in here. We're going to find some lessons that they had to deal with. And as the scriptures say, they were written here for our learning. Okay, because when you get to the inside of the workings of life, real life, you know, there are issues. And we're going to see some of those issues here in the lives of these people. Genesis chapter 25, I'm going to divide the three chapters up to you in, um, in um, we're just going to divide them up uh, and kind of title them and characterize them uh, so that we get a, first we want a broad understanding of what we're going to be looking at. When we look in Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 6, we're going to see the descendants of Abraham by Keturah. Most people don't even realize about Keturah. But this was his wife after Sarah had died and after Isaac had been married. In verses uh, 7 through 11, we have the death of Abraham. In verses 12 through 18, we see the descendants of Abraham by Hagar. In verses 19 through 31, we see the descendants of Abraham by Sarah. Right? And... Um, of course, Hagar and Sarah, we see the contrast there. We see the natural man, and we see the spiritual man, or we see the earthly man and the man of promise, right, Sarah and Hagar. And then in verses uh, 32 through 34, there's the despising of the birthright. So that's capsulizing chapter 25. Chapter 26, by the way, I'll note this, which brought to my attention, in the Bible, this is the only chapter that is giving exclusively to Isaac. This is Isaac's is, is a very brief history in the scriptures. We don't hear a whole lot about him. And he had such a huge influence on the messianic line, and yet we hear the least about him. And the other thing is, is, you know, Isaac lived 180 years. He lived longer than Abraham. He lived longer than Jacob, his son, and he lived longer than Joseph, his grandson. So it was interesting to think that this man who lived the longest, who had one of the greatest impacts in the history, in God's history, his providential history of redemption, that such little record would be concerning him. And we'll have, maybe that's a question we can ask the Lord about. And by the way, the things that are communicated here today are not always communicated as just solidness. Some of it, I hope, it, it, it instigates your 
interest in the finding out more about this. So that was just a side thought. In this chapter, chapter 20, 26, in verses 1 through 11, we see a display of moral weakness. In verses 12 through 22, we see Isaac begins to dig wells. He's digging wells again. In verses 23 through 33, there's a delightful act of worship. And then in verses 34 and 35, there's some domestic worry going on. Okay? Um, As it is, as many of us are, there's some dysfunction in these families. And we're going to talk about them. And remember that these were written aforetime for our learning. And then in chapter 27... I think this is another, uh, can be titled, and I've heard men say that this is the house of disorder. The house of disorder. And in the will of the Lord, we'll look at that later on this, this evening. It's the house of disorder. And do you know, throughout the book of Genesis, um, God is dealing with families. We have Adam and his family. And then um, we have Noah. And his family. Here we have Abraham and his family. Later it's going to be Isaac and his family, and then Jacob and his family. Do you think God's concerned about families? Do you think families are important to God? Do you think that structure is an important structure that God has designed? I think so. I think it is, and we need to keep that in mind. But in chapter 27, there are four people. Uh, before us in this home. And uh, these people are Isaac, Jacob, Esau, and Rebekah. And we're going to see about them. And what we're going to note is there's going to be some telling marks in, in each of these family members, things that expose the character of person that they are. And will the Lord will look at that this evening. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And I pray, Lord, as we consider it and as uh, we try to dig deeper, that we see the things, as the scriptures say, uh, that will be for our learning so that we can apply these things to our own lives so that uh, we can grow in the grace of God and in the knowledge and the wisdom that he grants us. So we thank you, Father, for your word. And we pray that you would bless it here as we, um, as we study through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 25. I hope you're there. And uh, what we see is, is that this particular chapter, it's going to bring us to the sunset of a long life of faith. Now, we're up in chapter 25. Those previous, perhaps, uh, 13 chapters were devoted particularly to Abraham and the foundational work that Abraham was doing and the providential work that God was performing through Abraham. But here we come to the sunset of the life of Abraham. And I was thinking about Marge Roberts as she went back up to, uh, up to South Carolina and and they had diagnosed her as having sunset syndrome. Did I tell you that? Sunset syndrome. And it comes sometimes when you're, when you're, well, she's got many years, not quite as many as Abraham, but 
She has many years. And that what happens is is you get kind of when the sun begins to set, you get dis, disorganized. You get, you get confused. She gets very confused. And so that's why. Uh, so I kind of thought about that. But, of course, you know, Abraham is in a sunset of his life here. And also this chapter, it informs us um, regarding the, uh, the descendants of Abraham uh, before his death or on his death. Okay, so when he died, we're going to look at those two things. This particular portion of scripture, I think, brings the, the, the historical end of or the historical life of Abraham to an end. Now, I said this, you know, and you can note it. It's the historical life of Abraham. Abraham will have a big part all through the scriptures. But as far as the history of Abraham, it kind of comes to a conclusion here in chapter 25. And, you know, the word of God does have a lot to say about Abraham, but we see the historical end here. And... In this particular passage, we also are given what's called the messianic link. The messianic link from Abraham through Isaac through Joseph. That's why I've titled this myself, Defi- The Defining Line. Okay, God is beginning to define the messianic line, and it starts here at the end of the historical life or the historical end of the life of Abraham. Well, let's look at the first six verses. Abraham, again, took a wife, and her name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Boy, these are hard words. Why would you name your kids that, right? (laughs) You know, sometimes when you look at these genealogies, you're like, I don't even really want to read them because I'm going to embarrass myself for no other reason, you know. But they are important. They're very important here. Verse 2, Josham begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashram, Lechusim, and Lumim. And the sons of Midian were Ephath, Epher, Hanuk, Abadai. All the, let's just say this, all these were the children of Keturah. Maybe I should have just said that. They were the children of, well, who is Keturah, by the way? But look at here what it says in verse 5. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east country of the east it's, uh, it's that, that term to the east is important there's a significance there the east is, has a significance of facing toward God it's almost the idea of an anticipation right and that was the whole, that was the whole I believe providential work of God in Abraham that he would be the one to help cause humanity to sit and to stand in anticipation of the Messiah. And it begins here with Abraham. Who was Keturah? Well, some things we don't know about her. There's not a lot of things said about her. But there are some things we can conclude. The first one is, is that she's not a bondwoman like Hagar. Okay, Hagar was a servant, and she was a bondwoman. 
And I think it can also be noticed is that she wasn't a free woman either, like Sarah. Okay? Um, And we don't really know a whole lot about her. We do know those things. And one of the most important things that we do know is, is that she bears fruit. She bears fruit. But notice that some of her fruit, and particularly one of them in verse 2, and his name is Midian. And then he's seen again later in in verse 4, the sons of Midian, and it gives a list of their names. And what we see is, you know, we we understand later in, in Scripture that Midian develops into one of the strongest enemies of Israel in later years. And um, so these are some obvious things that are brought to our attention. We can see Genesis 37 and Genesis 36, later in Numbers 31, in Judges chapter 6, they're told to go after the Midianites who were enemies of them. And um, one of the descendants of Keturah we see, and one of the descendants of Hagar, they would rise up to be... Uh, enemies of Israel, and they came through Abraham and Isaac. You know, it was also brought to my attention when you see these, and maybe this is a little bit out of, out of I'm jumping ahead a little bit, when you see uh, the descendants, you know, you see the true, great, or not the true, there's only one true great religion, but you see the great religions of the world coming from this man. You have the Ishmaelites and that is particularly, we see the, the, the Islam and, uh, and, and that line, right? And then, of course, you have uh, Isaac, and we see the Semitic rule and, and the Hebrew nation. And then Keturah. Who is Keturah? I think this could also be uh, the Gentile world. And, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, or can I say this? The Christian religion. Okay, that adopts um, that that uh, knowing of the true God. Okay, so the, we see that coming in here very clearly, or kind of clearly. But let's look at verses. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move along. We'll look at verse uh, seven through eleven, and it says, "And this is a sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived one hundred and seventy-five years. Then Abraham breathed his last. He died in a." In a good old age, an old man in full years, and he was gathered to his people. And his son Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Mac, Mac, uh, Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. Uh, there Abraham was buried, and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham, that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Beersheba. Well, the other thing I wanted to note was, we can look uh, back in verses 5 and 6 before we move along. We see in verse 5, it says that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Again, we have another splitting off and another defining of the line. Another defining of the messianic line. He gave all that he had to Isaac, and then he would give stuff to the children of his concubines, but then he would separate them. And this is the beginning of the separation from the rest of the world. He gives 
in preparation to his own death, there's a discernment. So he gives gifts to the concubines. He sends them away, but he gives Isaac everything. And it introduces that idea of separation. And why is there a separation? Well, because Isaac is the son of what? Promise. He's the son of promise. Okay? And um, here we are guided to the promised Messiah through the seed of Abraham, Isaac. And this is important for us to see this line. In verses uh, 7 and 8, we realize that uh, Abraham is, I like this, he's old and full. (laughs) You know, um, the timing of his death is very important. He didn't He didn't go before his time, and he didn't linger around. God knows when it's time. I think when you look at Abraham, and in his life, and in his death, you can say, mission accomplished. He lived an old and a full life, mission accomplished. But look at verses 9 and 10. In verses 9, and it says, His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zorah. And it goes on to tell the field. And we want to note the devotion here. Okay? Um, Abraham had sons, but which ones show up? The one from Hagar and the one from Sarah. What about Keturah? What about any of those sons show up? No. So there was a certain there was a certain devotion that we see here of the sons. And you know, sometimes death has that brings that opportunity. Sometimes you can we, we have those splittings of life, we have those separations, and death is one of those things that can bring us back together. And so there was a devotion to them. At this time, Isaac was about seventy five years old. And uh, Ishmael was uh, like 87 years old. Um, And that was when, uh, that was about the time when um, Abraham gave out, as it were, when he gave out the blessings or he would would give all to to, um, Isaac and then some to the concubines. And here we see the purpose of, of unfolding of God's divine plan. He's beginning to unfold his plan. He's beginning to unfold it uh, in the life of Isaac. Look at verses 12 and 16, or 12 through 16. Now, this is a genealogy of Ishmael, and we're not going to take the time to read it. You can read that for yourself, um, but we'll go down to verse 17. It says, And these were the years of the life of Ishmael. 137 years, and he breathed his last, and he died, and he was gathered to his people. And guess what? We don't hear any more about him. Okay, and the span of time that is taken up in these five verses is some 50 years. It's just a kind of a glimpse. It's kind of a, okay, and by the way, this is what happened to Ishmael. And so he died, and uh, it, it, how quickly the Spirit of God travels over these years, and he begins to separate the families. Ishmael dies 137. That's like 50 years from what? That was 50 years after um, Abraham uh, brought them together. Let's look at verse 19 through 31. And this is a genealogy 
of Abraham's, of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Now, in here, we, um, we see, we're gonna, what we're going to see is, is that Isaac um, begins a time of, he begins a time of uh, testing, of proving. You know, the genealogy, he was, four, look at verse 19. He was 40 years old, verse 20, when he took Rebekah as his wife. And now in verse 21, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Uh, they were married some 20 years by now, almost 20 years, and she was bearing. Does that sound familiar? Same thing happened to his father, right? Abraham went through a time of testing. So Isaac begins a time of testing, a time of proving. And during this time, Isaac would plead with the Lord. That time of testing, that time of proving would bring him to a time of praying. In verse 21, we see that. And then these next few verses, verses 21 through 31, there's a learning time regarding the purposes of God. Look at what it says in verse 22. Uh, Oh, it says in verse 21. uh, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived, but... The children struggled. And she's like, if this is really your will, Lord, why is this happening to me? This is a time of learning. As God begins to reveal his, and, and reveal his purposes, as he begins to providentially work out his purposes in the lives of these two. So God would speak to her and say, there's two nations in you. And uh, one people is going to be stronger than the other. And the older is going to serve. Now keep this in mind. This is God's providential work. This is God's plan. And he reveals that to them. And then we skip way ahead uh, to uh, verse 27. Or actually we look at verse 26. And we see that after all the things happen, it says afterward his brother came out. Well, Esau comes out first, the oldest one, and afterward his brother would come out and, uh, and he would be holding on to Esau's heel. You know, Esau was, is known, uh, well, he was the firstborn and he came out, he was red, he was hairy, and there's an indication there of he's, he's the earthy son. He's, he's the, you know, the son from the earth. And we see that he is later on as he talks to his father, as he goes to receive uh, the blessing, you know, his father wants some natural stuff. He wants him to go make him some food. You know, it reminds me of some of the people I work with. Boy, they love to eat. I don't like to do that, but they love to eat, you know, and, and they eat. And i never seen people eat like that before, you know. And, um, you know, he's a, he's a natural man. But Jacob comes out and he's grabbing his heel. He's, 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 he's a deceiver. He's a tricker. It's, it, as I was reading this, it reminded me of a situation when I was in boot camp, right? And, you know, when you're marching, we're practicing, boom, we're on the field, hours, pa pa pa, hot, bugs flying up your nose and in your ears, you know, just, ah, ah, leave them bugs alone, you ate, give them a chance to eat, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, periodically as you're marching, someone will kick you in your heel. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. And it trips you up. It gets you all out of step. 
You know, and this is the idea of the kind of a person that he is. You know, he tripped him up. He was going to trip him up. And uh, as, as it goes, as the story goes, we see in verse 27, the boys grew. And it says Esau was a skillful, hunt, skillful hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a mild man, you know, dwelling in the tents, kind of soft kind of a guy, soft-spoken, kind of like some people around here and stuff like that, you know. Soft-spoken and just a spiritual man, you know, a, the idea of a spiritual man or the concept of it. And uh, the time comes that uh, uh, Isaac, uh, you know, it tells us, and this is another thing that we want to see, is that there was the beginning of a dysfunctional family even here. Because you have one of the parents showing more love and more affection, or maybe not showing more love, but, but having a natural or having a, an affection toward one son, and the other parent, Having, does that happen in your house, those of you who have multiple kids? You know, I'd like, please, stop nagging on your mother like that. But she loves it, you know? You know, and then some hang out with me. Well, I don't know. Do any of them hang out with me? No, they're all scared of me. But, you know, he had a more of a desire. He had more of a passion for the one son. And, and, and this is the beginning of that dysfunction here. We can see it even in, in their life. And uh, so... Um, it says in verse 29 that Jacob cooked a stew. You know, he was hanging around the house. He was cooking. You could smell it outside. He was probably, probably cooked as good as his mom. I, actually, he didn't because later on Abraham would eat her food that she cooked and say that it was his, but it wasn't. But anyway, uh, he was cooking, and, and Esau came into the field, and he was weary. And he said, hey, please give me something to eat. Uh, with that same red stew. You know, when he was born, he everything dealing with him was red. You know, it was red. It was like the clay earth. You know, and I, I, I think of that picture in Genesis when God molded that clay and then would breathe life into it. That's the kind of a man he was. He came from the earth, right? A natural man, you know, and... Uh, and But Jacob would say to him, uh, oh, it says in, in verse 30, therefore his name was called Edom, which means red. So, and of the ideas of the earth. But Jacob would say, sell me your birthright this day. And Esau said, well, I'm about ready to die. What's the birthright to me? And then, of course, Jacob would get a commitment from him. Sell it to me. And so he swore to him that he would sell it. And we see here that there was the despising of the birthright by Esau. Because, you know, Esau, he lived for the present. He lived for the now. He didn't have an interest in those values that the birthright would bring. Esau, you know, though being the first firstborn, he didn't really see the value in the birthright. But Jacob, on the other hand, I think he recognized it. He recognized that value. And again... This is the providential work of God. You can see it working out. You can see that you can see it being acted out. This is the heart of God. What He wanted to do. Look at real quick, and we're just we're only going to do this chapter, and I'll do two tonight, I hope. All right. Look with me, if you will, um, to Hebrews chapter twelve. It tells us a little bit about Esau here. Hebrews chapter twelve, in verse. Uh, <clears throat> 
in verse 16 we see, it says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Okay? That's why he didn't see the value of the birthright. Because he was a profane man. He didn't, under, he didn't have a, a concept. He didn't have a clue of the purpose and the value that was in this birthright. He, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He didn't care for the things of God. We're going to close here in a minute, but what did he give up in rejecting and, and, and despising the birthright? You know, what actually did he give up? Well, there's some things that the birthright bring. First, there was a spiritual heritage that it would bring. And we see here that it was that spiritual heritage was the establishing of the line of the messianic covenant. Right? I mean, what more? If, if he'd only thought that, wow, I get to be in the plan of God. I get to be used by God to bring this to, to reality. So that's one of the things that he forfeited. The other thing was he gave the right. It gave him the right to be the priest of the family. It was that birthright that allowed you to be the priest of the family, to be the spiritual leader of that family, to be a representative to your family and your community, and your nation to be the representative of the true and the living God. He forfeited that. And another thing that he would forfeit was that the birthright carried the privilege of communicating the divine secrets of God. You know, um, you know the kings don't give up their secrets. And the king of kings doesn't give up his secrets easily. And it's through that it's through that birthright that his secrets are communicated. And the other thing that he gave up is, is that it, again, it constituted the link in the line of the messianic descent. And I think about that as we have opportunity to evangelize. You know, it's in that form that we through the work and through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that we're able to bring people into a new birthright. Right? Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus would say, unless a man is born again, what? He's not going to see the kingdom of God. And that's the privilege that we have of bringing people to, to, to gain all of these privileges to gain a spiritual heritage, to gain the right of being a priest, right? First Peter says that we are kings and priests to gain the privilege of communicating the divine secrets of God and to gain the privilege of constituting and establishing and showing that link, that messianic link. We are linked by that birthright to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what a great privilege it is. So this morning, I guess, 
The question would be that we would walk away with is where do we place our value? Is it like Esau, who for a morsel forfeited those privileges? Or is it like Jacob, who, you know, Jacob, when we look at him, we're going to sometimes say, why in the world would God use a man like that? A liar, a cheater, a thief. <laughs> but then again, I got to say, why in the world would God use a guy like me? Right? To come into a new birth and to understand and to recognize the value of that birthright. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I pray that as we've kind of skimmed over it, we know there's so, so much more that could be said here. And yet, um, it's our purpose to stimulate ourselves into a desire to a deeper understanding, and that's what we come together for. And I pray that that would have been the effect here today, that we would be stimulated to know, to want to know, and to want to comprehend in much, much more in a better way we do the secrets of God. We thank you for these characters. We thank you for your history and for your providential work that reveals to us divine secrets. We pray, Father, that um, you would be blessed in our time together and that we've handled your word correctly. And we pray that the outcome of it would be of a good testimony to the kingdom of God and to the saints who carry it. In Jesus' name, amen.